Well, good morning. In two days, we're going to be celebrating Christmas, and I believe Christmas is one of the most simple but yet confusing holidays on the entire calendar. I mean, the average person sets very high standards for what the season in general and what the day in particular are going to hold. But when Christmas comes and goes, many of these same people feel like it never lived up to all the hype, all the expectations of what they had. Why is that the case? Every year we build up the hype, and then at the end we don't find any real hope. Why is that the case? I think the problem and the solution are very, very simple. Most people fail to fully appreciate the central message of Christmas, that God the Father sent Jesus Christ, his one and only Son, to such a desperately needy world, and he sent him with such abject humility and love that when we receive Jesus Christ as the gift of God, we experience incredible peace from God because it's the gift. It's really that simple. Sadly, few people really get this message. And the truth of the matter is, even many of us who are already convinced, who already believe Jesus is the Christ, who already believe that God sent his son, we forget this too. We forget. We get trapped by symbols and trapped by glitter and trapped by responding to Christmas cards. I don't know about you, but pretty much every single day for a month, I've spent the first part of my morning, you know, what cards do I need to send? You know, who do I need to respond to? I mean, how many of you have felt that a little bit? You know, I, mean, I feel anal about that, and, and uh, it's really, really important. So as we draw close to Christmas today, and then tomorrow evening for our Christmas Eve services, and I hope you'll be here at 4 or 7, we're going to look at all I want for Christmas. We want to help you have Christmas be the Christmas you really want. Now here's the secret. The Christmas you really want is the Christmas that God wants for you. If you understand the Christmas God wants for you and you accept that premise, then you'll have the Christmas you really want. So that's what I want to talk about. Take out your Lakeshore notes. If you have a Bible, we're going to be touring around. We're going to start off in Matthew chapter 22. We're going to end up in Luke chapter 15. And in between, we're going to do a little Isaiah. I've got a bunch of bunch of passages, a number of passages we'll look at. But how many of you have been to a few Christmas parties this month? How many of you had some really, really good ones? Really, really good parties? This, really. How many of you had some rotten parties that you had to... Come on. How many of you had some rotten parties? Parties that you had to go to, that's the only reason you went. Show your hands. Come on, staff, you were at the staff party, come on. I mean, we, my wife will kill me if she hears this message. You know, we've all, we can tell a lot about a party by the invitation we receive. Did you ever get an invitation and the invitation to the party really, really, really communicates to you what that party's about? I mean, think about it. You can tell by who sent it. What's the agenda? Uh, where is it being held? What kind of food's being served? Is it going to be a good time? What will I do there? I mean, unfortunately for some of you, is it an open bar? Now one day while in Jerusalem, Jesus told a parable. 
explaining how God issues, has issued, is issuing, and will issue invitations to an incredible party. The party that God invites everybody to is the party of heaven. He sometimes calls it the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, eternal life, time with God, the marriage supper of Jesus Christ, which is the banquet when every Christian sits down with Jesus Christ and we have dinner with him to celebrate eternity with him. Whatever you want to call it, it's God's party. And Jesus tells a story about how God sends out his invitations. In Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 2, Jesus tells the religious leaders around him, the kingdom of heaven, this party, is like a king. And we know from this story, the king is God the Father, who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. His son is Jesus Christ. What's the wedding banquet? I literally believe that he may very well be referring to this marriage banquet when Christians dine and have our first meal together after Jesus Christ returns to earth to rule and to reign. The wedding banquet. It's a party for those who marry Jesus Christ by faith. That's why the church is called the bride of Christ. The the church is not a building. The church is made up of people. Everybody who's a true Christian is in the church. And if you're in the church and you're the bride of Christ, Christ is the husband, we're the wife. And that's why this metaphor of marriage works so wonderfully. So he's talking about this party, of this party of being with him, being in heaven, being married to him, being together with him for eternity. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. So he sends out these invitations and he does a little follow-up. You ever do that? You have a party and, man, no one's RSVPing. So he does a little follow-up. But they refuse to come. They didn't want to. If you read the text, they make excuses. Oh, I'm going to have a headache that day. Uh, No, I can't really make it because I've got too much going on. Ah, I'd really like to come. Excuses, 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 excuses. And they flow. They refuse to come. So Jesus is so passionate about people coming to this party. He then instructs, go to the street corners and invite to the banquet Anyone you find. Anyone you find. And then he gives a summary. For many are invited, but few are chosen. The immediate interpretation of this passage is clear. Jesus Christ's first invitation was to the nation of Israel. John says Jesus came to his own. He was Jewish. He came to his own Jewish people. And his own did not receive him. Of course, some Jewish people believed. But by and large, as a nation, most Jewish people did not. Sadly, most Jewish people today do not, though some do. Fortunately, in the future, there will be a day in which many, many Jewish people will believe. And the Bible talks about that at Christ's return. And and when they said no, and Jesus says, go to the street corners, that's, who's that? That's every one of us here who is not Jewish. With all due respect to the Jewish people rejecting Jesus, by the grace of God, I'm thankful for that in this sense. That that meant a non-Jewish person like me had hope. And when he says, go into the street corners, it means it's open to everybody. Jesus wants everybody in heaven. He wants everybody at the party. God is not willing, Peter says, God's not willing that anybody would perish but have eternal life. 
But the broad application is this. God longs for as many people as possible to attend the party of heaven, the party where we marry Jesus Christ, by putting our trust in him to forgive our sins, which, are the, which is the alienating thing between us and God, our sin. He's inviting people all the time. In fact, he's been inviting people for this part, to this party for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before. How? By sending us predictions of Jesus Christ's birth, his death, and his resurrection. By giving us this advance notice, these party invites, these predictions, um, he wants to prove that the invitation is worth RSVPing for. In other words, if he sends out these predictions and the party's going to be like this, and before the party he gives you proof that the party's going to be like this, and, and it's an attractive party, boy, you're, you're likely to attend. Now along those lines, another little invite goes out. The angel Gabriel, and we know from the Bible that Gabriel is one of the highest ranking angels. People say, how many angels are in the world? Billions. There are billions of angels. And one of the highest ranking of these billions of angels is the angel Gabriel. And he predicts Christ's birth to Jesus' physical mother on earth, Mary, and invited her to believe. And this time, it's a little short notice. It's kind of a nine-month notice. And Luke 31, 131 to 34, the angel Gabriel says to Mary, you will be with child, give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus. Mary asks, how will this be? How will this be? And lots of people ask this today. Many, Mary wondered how this was going to happen, but she ultimately believed the angel. She ultimately said, I'll be at that party. She accepted the invitation to be the faithful mother of God, of Jesus Christ. When you read the Old Testament, there are over 300 predictions, over 300 predictions about Jesus Christ. Many of them of his death, many of them of his resurrection, many of them of the nature of his life, and many of them related to his birth. They're like invitations to heaven's party. They're set in advance, hoping that you'll come. So this morning, I want to look at three key predictions of these over 300 in the Old Testament, three key predictions of Christ's birth that God uses as personal invitations to you and to me uh, to attend the greatest Christmas party ever. And I chose them from Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah, perhaps more than any other book of the Old Testament, makes more predictions about Jesus Christ. Um, Isaiah chapter 53 and 55 speak of the suffering of Jesus Christ and, and the cross and such. And they make many, many predictions. Isaiah and its 66 chapters of richness make more predictions uh, perhaps than any other book of the Old Testament. Um, and, and in chapter 7, 9, and 11, the prophet Isaiah makes his most acute predictions related to the birth part of Jesus coming to earth. And so I want to talk to you about that. Because over 2,700 years ago, this prophet Isaiah spoke of many aspects of Christ's coming. And he gives us three important ones about his birth. So let's look at each of these three predictions. Here's prediction number one. And for each prediction, I'll give you the significance of what it means for the party invite, for the kingdom of heaven party, if you will. So here's the first. The first has to do with the method of Jesus Christ's birth. How would God's Son be born? How would He leave heaven and come to earth? 
Would he come as a handsome 30-year-old man with a stunning royal robe and a scepter? Maybe he would come with power. Would he come conquering as a king? How would Jesus be born? Isaiah 7.14 answers this for us. Look at what it says. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you, and you is King Ahaz, I'll explain it in a minute, a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, a little bit of background is in order. In 735 B.C., the prophet Isaiah, and many times the Old Testament uh, prophets are maybe totally, I have to think about it, I think pretty much every time, but if not, almost every time, the name of the Old Testament book is named after the prophet of whom um, the person making the predictions is about. So Isaiah is called the, the book of Isaiah because it's all about the predictions and the prophecies and the prophetic activity of Isaiah. In 735, Isaiah told Judah's king Ahaz. At this time, Israel was divided and Judah was in the south and Israel, which we think of as the whole thing, was just the north. And, and he says this, he says uh, to, to Judah's king Ahaz, God wanted to give him a sign. Ahaz was nervous because the ten tribes in the north of Israel, and I believe it was Aram, wanted to form an alliance and come and wipe out and knock out Judah. Ahaz was understandably nervous. He wondered what would happen. I mean, will we get creamed? Uh, and he was nervous. And God wanted to give him a prediction, a comfort, a sign, so that he could be, in the words of Isaiah 7, 4, careful, calm, and unafraid in spite of all of these threats. But sadly, Ahaz refused the offer. And he makes an excuse why he wouldn't listen, much like the people made an excuse for why they didn't want to attend God's party. And he makes an excuse because he really didn't want to trust God. But he made some lame excuse. Oh, God, I really don't want to put you out or anything. So no, no need for a sign. In response, God says, Okay, Ahaz, I'm going to give you a sign, even though you don't want it, even though you don't want to trust me, but I'm going to fulfill it over 700 years later. And here's the sign. Jesus Christ, my son, will be born through the miracle of a virgin conception. Now that's quite a sign. You know, I did a little research. Over the last 75 years, guess how many people have been born? How many babies have been born in the last 75 years? 10 billion. 10 billion babies have been born in the last 75 years. I mean, there's, there's about 7 billion people on the planet. More people have been born in the last 75 years than inhabit Earth today. But none of those births, none of those 75 million births, compare to the birth of Jesus Christ. It didn't involve intercourse. We often say the virgin birth. I think those two words are separated by nine months. I think the better term is the virgin conception. And without knowing a man sexually, Mary gives birth to Jesus Christ, God's son. Miraculous? Absolutely. But that was the point. If a miracle like this could happen, then God would have his invitation confirmed as a very meaningful invitation and prediction to all of us. How was this fulfilled? And for each one of these, I'll give you the fulfillment. Matthew 1, 20 to 23. Mary will give birth to a son, Matthew records, and you are to give him the name Jesus. All this took place 
to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, as we know, that's prophet, the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Over 700 years later, God begins to fulfill the miraculous promise. Joseph had nothing to gain in this situation, had no reason to promote a virgin birth if it really didn't happen. The shame that would certainly accompany marrying an unfaithful wife, along with a mockery, would not be something a noble man like Joseph would ever, ever accept. The only reason Joseph would proclaim that this was true is because it was. He had no other reason, any other reason, would mitigate against him saying this was true. And notice Jesus' birth. This is significant. Means God with us. That's literally what Emmanuel means. God with us. In Jesus, God would be with us, which is the first party invite. So here's the first, the meaning of this first prediction, and that's this. He can support us in our challenging times. The method of Christ's birth meant that God is with us and he can support us because he is with us. Even in challenging times, we can find his support. Few verses say it any better than Hebrews 4.16. Not only the fact that God will support us, but he gives us the means and how we can procure this support from him. He says, let us then approach the throne of grace, which is a euphemism, an expression for how we can approach God. The throne of grace, this undeserved favor and love from God. We can approach it with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need, to help us in our time of need. You know, we live in America and we're so enculturated with independence and that's a really, really good thing, a really good thing most of the time. But sometimes... We don't need independence. We need interdependence. And we need to rely on people around us. And we need to most importantly rely on God. And independence can get us feeling lonely. And I think you know this. But lots of people are really lonely today. And part of why lots of people are really lonely today is because they haven't understood or haven't appropriated the fact that Jesus Christ can support us, that he can be an ever-present help in time of need, as the Psalms say. We can have lots of people around us and be abjectly lonely inside. You ever done that? Been around lots of people but feel utterly lonely? Albert Einstein once said this. He goes, it's strange to be known so universally and yet be so lonely. Ever feel that way? Feel that way these days, maybe? Jesus Christ's birth means he's available. He can support us, but we have to approach him in prayer and find help where we need it. But think about those times you've received human help. Maybe you were in school and you're having a tough time or somebody was picking on you and a teacher came alongside, a buddy came alongside and supported you. Or you got a new job, and man, there's a lot of uncertainty with that new job. And somebody at the new place came alongside and supported you and showed you the ropes and gave you some encouragement. Maybe you've been married a few years and you hit some rocky roads, and another couple 
or a counselor or some other follower of Jesus Christ came alongside and helped you. Boy, don't we all know the power of support? Imagine when it's God Almighty who's doing the supporting. I, I wonder sometimes how people can make it in life without the Lord directly, personally in their life. I, 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 I struggle to understand not only why, but not only how, but why. Why would anyone not turn to Jesus Christ, who is so available and so loving? Christmas screams to the world, Jesus is here, he's coming, he's available. He's God with us, he will support you. That's a party I want to attend. I hope it's a party you want to attend. There's a second prediction that comes out of Isaiah, and it's this prediction. Not only uh, the first prediction, but now the second one is the meaning of Jesus Christ's birth. I mean, what's the meaning of his birth? Why would he leave heaven? Why would he come down to earth? And what significance would come with his arrival? Isaiah 11 tells us. He says, As new branches sprout from a stump, so a new king will arise from among David's descendants. The Spirit of the Lord will give him wisdom and the knowledge and skill to rule his people with justice and faithfulness. Now, in Isaiah's prediction, there's three key things I want to unpack, three aspects of the meaning of Christ's birth. First is that expression right there, uh, a new king. As new branches sprout from a stump, so a new king will arise. A new king. You know, the newest branches off a stump are usually the most vibrant and vigorous. They need it to sprout and grow. He's a new king. It implies that when Jesus Christ becomes the king, he's going to be a king like no other. There will be no other king that compares to the king, Jesus Christ. And he will arise from David's descendants. That's the second thing I notice about the meaning of Christ's birth. He'll come from David's descendants. David was Israel's greatest king. If you were to ask a Jew today, who is the greatest king in the history of Israel? I doubt there'd be a Jew who knows anything who would say anybody else other than David. He was their greatest king. Jesus will arise from this royal lineage, this incredible lineage of, of David. You ever hear this expression, like father, like son? <laughs> this is really like son, like father. I mean, David, Jesus was the son of David physically, but he's really the king well before David was king. And then the, thing, the third aspect is he will rule his people with faithfulness and justice. Christ was born with this meaning attached. He's a new, great, fair and just king and ruler. But the question is, what's Jesus the king of? I mean, let's think about that. I mean, Jesus is the king. The question is, is Jesus the king of the universe right now? Yes, but not fully. Is Jesus the king of the world right now? I mean, look at the mess it's in. Jesus the king of this mess? Yes, but not fully. But then why isn't Jesus fully the king of the universe? Fully the king of the world? Because he's letting the world play out according to his perfect plan. Because when Jesus Christ rules and reigns, the garbage that's going on on planet Earth now, not going to happen. Today, Jesus offers a sort of a down payment. 
Um, people who study the Bible call it now, but not yet. You ever have a now, but not yet? Like a down payment? Or you put something away on, on reserve at a store? They're, I guess that's coming back these days. Where you put a little money. I mean, it's yours, but it's not yours totally. And that's exactly what, what it's like now. He's the king of the world. He's the king of the universe. And he's put the down payment on it. And he's in place. But he's allowing the world to play out without him totally enforcing his kingship. But he will one day. Again, notice how Christmas card number two, the second prediction, was fulfilled just over 730 years later. Jesus Christ, Matthew 1.1. 1, 1, Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David. Jesus' lineage, his parents revealed that through Joseph's heritage, he was in the royal line of King David, just like Isaiah predicted he would be. That's an amazing fulfillment uh, to Isaiah's prediction. Through Joseph, Jesus' stepfather, if you will, Jesus had the legal right as heir to claim the kingship over people because he was in the line of David, its great king. 2 Samuel 7.16 predicts this, that Israel will always have a king in the lineage of David. Jesus wants to be your personal king. He's the king of the universe. He's the king of the world. But whether or not he's the king of your heart, that's your call. The Bible says someday when we die, every person will kneel before God and every person will confess that Jesus is the Lord. Every person will. It's going to happen. Here's the only question. Will it happen voluntarily while you're alive on earth or will it happen when you die and you're forced to acknowledge the absolute truth that Jesus Christ is the King? It's really the only question. Jesus wants to be your personal king. He wants to rule you lovingly as a great king can do. He wants to lead you carefully as a great king can only do. He wants to oversee you wisely as a great king can do. A few years back, uh, Edward Hale, who was then the chaplain of the United States Senate, was asked um, if he looked at the state of the nation and prayed for the senators. He says, no, not really. He goes, I look at the senators and pray for the nation. And that was years ago. I mean, look at our Congress. I mean, financial cliff. And there's, it's all a political staged game. Both of them. All of them. You know, as we say, as we used to say down south, all y'all need to go. That's how I feel about it. I really do. I mean, it's a mess. Human rulers are only so good. And Jesus Christ is the ultimate King of Kings. Now here's what that means for God's party invite number two. Here's the party invite. He can protect us in threatening times. The meaning of Christ's birth is that because he is king of the universe and king of the world, if he is king of our lives, he will protect us from anything that threatens us. And that's a good king. That's what good kings are called to do. Again, a passage from Hebrews says it all. Hebrews 13, 5b and 6. For God has said, I will never, never fail you nor forsake you. That is why we can say without any doubt or fear, the Lord is my helper. I am not afraid of anything. What's threatening you these days? What threats are on your emotional and spiritual radar? People? Family? Job? Finances? Health? Stress? Difficulties you don't think you can solve? Dilemmas too deep to dig out of? Your past? your future, whatever it is, you have a standing offer on the table today. The King Jesus Christ was born to protect you 
to be a helper, to be a fear eliminator, the text says, to be your king and make your heart his home. The passage I just read to you, Hebrews 13, 5b and 6, uh, became my life verse. Um, It's funny because I remember exactly when that became my life verse. It was in late April or early May of 1985. I'm working at RIT. It's, I believe, a late afternoon. I want to say it was a Friday afternoon. And the gravity of my life ahead really hit me. You know, in short order, I'm going to graduate. And I'm going to move to Florida. And my mom won't make my bed anymore. And I'll have to, like, make my own instant potatoes. And... All of these fears grip me, and I'm going to take a new job, and all these things are going to happen, and then in three months I'm going to get married. I was, I was certain about that, and all these things, and then I had this calendar that somebody gave me, and I just flipped it and looked at the dates, and then I looked at the scripture, and there it was, Hebrews 13, 5b and 6. You say, what does b mean, the second half of the verse? And I'm glad that calendar had verse b, because... Verse 13a says, be free from the love of money. Uh, I didn't want that to be my life verse. And um, by God's grace, you know, um, love of money is not an issue. I've got my issues. That just happens to not be one of them. And I think about all I had to face in life. I was about to graduate, about to move to Florida, all afraid, all uncertain, and God saw me through it. I don't know why, but God inspired that verse in my life. And here's the great thing. Even though it's my life verse, it's a verse for all of us. I wonder how many of you need to say, he'll never leave me, he'll never forsake me. And as a result, I can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Who shall I fear? What can people do to me? What can people do to me? Boy, I've had to cling to that one all my life, and I know I will the rest of my days. Jesus truly and personally never left me nor forsook me. And of course, that is a broader promise that when you put your complete trust alone in Jesus Christ, you cannot lose the free gift of salvation because he'll never leave you or forsake you. He tells Timothy, uh, he cannot even forsake us when we forsake him because he cannot deny himself. It's because he's king and can protect us. What an incredible invite. Don't you want to go to that party? I do. I do. There's one third last prediction as uh, I share this third prediction that he makes and, and the Christmas card invite that goes along with it. And that's this. Not only the method, the sign of Christ's birth through a virgin, not only the meaning, the arrival of a new king like the world's never seen, but the third prediction is the message of Christ's birth. What's God trying to say? In sending Jesus to the earth. What, what's the decoder on that? What's the, what, what, what's the message here? Did God send Jesus to judge the earth? How many know that if God sent Jesus to judge the earth, he'd be right in doing it? But that's not why he said. Jesus said, I didn't come to judge, but to save. How about condemn people? God have every right to condemn us? Of course he does. He didn't come to condemn people either. He didn't come to call the sick, or the healthy, but the sick. To make our lives boring, miserable, filled with meaningless rules? 
to be culturally dated, to walk around looking weird, subscribing to weird rules, no such thing. The message of Christ's birth is best stated in the prediction Isaiah made in verses 2 to 6, chapter 9. The people walking in darkness, and how many know that's the whole world, it's the whole planet, have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Not only do we have a light, but the light dawned. It has the idea of the arrival of something special and new. And there's nothing more beautiful than watching the sun rise. The sunset is nice, but the sun rises is something special. For to us, a child is born, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Wonderful Counselor, His light will illuminate us with wisdom. Mighty God, His light will give us the strength to see where we need to go. Everlasting Father, His light will will bring parental guidance and nurture of our childlike lives. And the Prince of Peace, his light will provide tranquility and calmness. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the presence of God, no matter what the outside says. You know, we'd be trying to go, well, I'll be at peace. Well, not in this world and not externally, but you can be at peace Isaiah says, God will keep in perfect peace those whose mind is stayed or set on him. Keep in perfect peace those whose mind is set on him. The message of Jesus Christ's birth is this. I am the light of the world to help you see life for what it is. I'm here for you. You can look to other people, Jesus is saying. You can look to other things, other beliefs, other ideas, but you will not get the true light of understanding you need for life. He's saying, in effect, stop looking elsewhere for dim lights or lights whose batteries are about to die or lights who, who, who project the wrong hue of light and come to me as the true light. Again, just as the other two predictions in Isaiah 7 and 11 were fulfilled, here in Isaiah chapter 9, it's fulfilled in Matthew 4, 14 to 16. Jesus left Nazareth. Why? To fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. Everywhere Jesus went, he enlightened people. Think about reading some of his stories in the New Testament. Woman at the well. Well, you know, I know you've been married five times, and you're cohab with number six. I think I can help you. Great line in the story. She says, I perceive that you're a prophet. Yeah, yeah. And much more. You need my love. That's why you keep, you know, shacking and, and, and divorcing and marrying, divorcing and marrying. Because you, you're trying to find love. And you're never going to find love unless you find the light of love in me. How about the tax-collecting money grubbers he, he, he encountered? He goes, you know what? Zacchaeus and all that? You know why you money grub? Because you're insecure. And you think money is your strong tower. You think money is your shield. You think money is your protection. Zacchaeus, I'm just telling you, my light will give you way more security 
than a few hundred Benjamins will. And what does Zacchaeus do? Me, I'll give everybody their money back with interest. I'll cough it right back if I get that, God. Jesus says that you definitely will. And to you and me, he says, you can try your own deals. But let me save you some trouble. They're not worth it. I am the light. I'll give you the deal you need. That's light. That's wisdom. That's illumination. And that's what leads to the third party invite that God is sending out to everybody on planet Earth, you and I. He can direct us in uncertain times. And these are uncertain times. The message of Christ's birth is this. Because He is our light, He can direct our lives. What is light? A direction provider. Jesus said so in John 12, 46. Jesus said, I have come as a light to shine in, the dark world, in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer wander in darkness. Somebody has said, you know, man is a forthright character. He's right about a fourth of the time. You know, lots of people are wrong. You ever get this? Well, common wisdom is this. Just listening to people, everybody knows this, and it's like, I don't agree with that. Everybody, you know, this, you know, there's a way that seems right to a man, Proverbs says twice. There's a way that seems right to a person, but it only ends in death. But Christ is totally right 100% of the time. Need direction? What do I say? What do I do? How do I live? What's the meaning of life? Jesus will give it to you. He'll lead you. He'll whisper to you based on the Bible always, but he'll lead you and direct you even in uncertain times. He's done so for me. The jobs I've chosen, God's helping me, helped me see those jobs. Uh, the person I married, it was really clear for me, and I've shared the story in other venues, that there was a time when I broke up with Sue, and I know that was God's will. But of course, um, I, 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 I sensed that God would honor that, and he did. And then I knew it was God's will to marry Sue, and my goodness, um, you know, here we've been married, let me, hold on, 27 years, and, oh my goodness, 27 years of gold, and, you know, one time we were, my wife and I, uh, when we were living in Florida, we, it was um, Thanksgiving, and it was our first Thanksgiving away, We'd, we just moved there earlier, like, as I mentioned, with the new job, and we had nobody to spend time with. So these people from our church took us to Alabama. Alabama. And we, we did cave walking. I'll have to tell you the story of when Sue rode a horse that was blind in one eye. I'll share that for another. That, that's a killer illustration. Anyway, and we walked in the cave. And you would think you're in a cave 20, 30 feet, and it's pitch black. Listen to me when I tell you this. I'm not, I don't know how this works. As we got deeper in the cave, it got darker and darker. I mean, you're 100 feet in, you're darker. You're 500 feet in, it's darker still. And uh, dark, dark, dark. And then the, the guy that was with us says, all right, you ready? Stand still. Don't freak out. And struck a match. And that little match, it was like powerful. And we looked up hundreds of bats just swinging around. <laughs> As soon as she blew up the match, about five seconds later, we're walking like, boom! You know, Sue freaked out. And 
It's amazing how a little light brought so much light and dar- darkness. The deeper the darkness, the more potent and powerful the light. Now, Jesus Christ is eternally potent, but the more his light contrasts. In the sin-sick world we live in, his light is powerful. But that's an incredible party invite, isn't it? That he'll direct your life. I don't know about you, but I need somebody to direct my life. I cannot direct my life. You can't direct your life perfectly anyway. So will you? Will you accept the invitation of Jesus Christ? He gave you all these predictions. I covered three. There are 300 plus predictions. He did all of that so you will know, so you can get the invite and come to the party. But you know that his birth was not the whole story. There's this thing called the cross. And Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross. Not only for our sin, but as proof that we are sinners. Why else would a human race nail the Son of God and kill the Son of God, humanly speaking, on the cross? Why? To prove we're sinful. And Jesus Christ loved us. And he took our place on the cross. And he was born to die. And he says, if you believe that I am the only way to heaven. And if you receive the free gift of eternal life by acknowledging your sin, repenting of it, and turning to me, I'll give you eternal life. That's the party invitation. And then the Bible says you spend eternity in heaven. The Bible says you're going to be at that great marriage supper of God and Jesus Christ because we're his wife. And you'll spend eternity with him. And you'll get the support you need now, the protection you need now, and the direction you need now so that someday when you get to heaven, you'll make it there Incredibly, These predictions are all God's party invite. Will you RSVP? And can I tell you how much Jesus wants you there? In Luke chapter 15, he tells a, thring, a string of three parables. Can I focus on one? It's so good. He says, imagine a woman who has ten coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and scour the house looking in every nook and cranny till she finds it? And when she finds it, you can be sure she'll call her friends and neighbors. Celebrate with me. I found my coin. My lost coin. I love this summary. Count on it. That's the kind of party God's angels throw Every time one lost soul turns to God. So will you accept that invite? You can trust these predictions. You can trust this is going to be a great party. Can I end with this last point? It's at the bottom of your notes. If God has the power to fulfill predictions, and we've seen how he's done so, he also has the power to fulfill people. The reason why God fulfills predictions is so that he can assure us that he can fulfill people. So I want us to just bow our heads now. And I want you to just think about the availability and the security and the protection and the direction you need. Will Jesus be your Emmanuel? Will Jesus be your king? Will Jesus be your light? He made these predictions. They're his little party invites. 
And Jesus says, hey, party won't be the same without you. Oh, it'll be a great one. It will not be diminished, whether you attend or not. But my heart is, I'd love to have you there. So I just want to ask you just to do business. So have you ever invited Jesus Christ in your life by accepting the invitation he gave to you? Just say, Jesus Christ, I realize I need this invite because I sin. I offend you. I offend myself. I offend other people. I'm an evil person apart from you. Every one of us, as nice as you are, so it would appear in our core, all of us are evil. And Jesus Christ was born humbly, and he died brutally, and he resurrected powerfully. And if you believe that, and you receive it into your life, and here is the key, by faith alone, by trusting exclusively, totally, absolutely in the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, not on moral goodness and all of this, you'll have eternal life. Say, Jesus Christ, I accept the invitation. IRSVP, one will be attending. That's me, because you can only accept for yourself. And Lord God, I pray that you do a great work through these predictions. And for those of us who already know you, I pray that we'd be fired up again. If we've known you for a while and we've lost our passion for Christmas, by your grace, remind us of the preciousness of these predictions, the wonder of your invitation for lowly us and help us to revel in that and celebrate the invitation that you've personally sent all of us. Whether it was a week ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 10 weeks ago, whatever it was, help us to appreciate that precious gift in Jesus Christ's holy, beautiful name. We pray this. Amen.